it's a huge privilege to have Simranjit Man on the on the podcast today. I've been following her on YouTube and I really like her content. So I'm really excited to have this discussion. And she's she's so busy. Um and she has so many amazing things going on. So I feel really lucky that she's made time to do this because I would completely understand if she's like, no, you're not important enough right now. No. <laughs> so thank you, Simon. No, no worries at all. Thanks for having me on. So I, I wanted to talk to you about YouTube first because I was I really like your content and I really like the quality of your content. And as someone who's been doing YouTube for a while, I, you know, I'm not at your level in terms of uh, your, your editing, your video quality, your, your, what your out, output, um, mm. and your, this new, your primary profession. So there's lots of people I feel during the coronavirus period who started producing content, but uh, not many people who who have done it as well as you so can you talk to me a bit about that yeah no I appreciate the kind words first of all so I yeah you're right in terms of YouTubing was something that I started uh, during lockdown as well but I think when it came to editing in particular that was something that I guess I already had a bit of an interest in um, and for example I used to love photoshopping photos and not like photoshopping in the sense like Kim Kardashian style, like completely changing the way you look sometimes, but actually in terms of just having a photo. So I've got a picture of me playing my drums and then I just kind of draw out a, another limb, like another arm. So it's like I'm playing the drums with three arms or something. Or I did one where I manipulated myself three times. So I sat on the, a bench and there was three of me on the bench and I just enjoyed doing weird creative things like that. That kind of allowed me to just kind of think outside the box a little bit. And I think when it came to YouTube, it was such a spontaneous idea because I created my Instagram page and it all basically started when two of my followers messaged and uh, after I created an IGTV and said, you're quite natural in front of a camera, maybe you should start a YouTube channel. And before then, I'd never really even thought of it, if I'm honest with you. And I am the kind of person where when a thought comes into my mind, I'm thinking this could be potentially quite a good thing to do I end up trying to get it done and only honestly because of those two people that messaged me and took the time out of the day to say that you should start a YouTube channel that's honestly why I started and I, before then it wasn't really something where you know a lot of YouTubers say I held on to this idea for so many years because I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do it or not it was honestly a decision that I made in a week so in that week I created my channel in that week I recorded my first video Looking back, I think I wouldn't have done it so much in such a rush because my first video, I've put it on private mode now because I look back at it, I'm just absolutely just cringe and embarrassed by the the, the editing and just the quality. And it, it, some people may think, you know, it's not that bad, but I think me looking back, I just can't, I can't look at it. <laughs> so um, if looking back, I wish I didn't rush that process so much. At least, you know, I could have at least watched a few YouTubers before I started. I could have kind of watched those videos, how-to videos, how to do this, how to do that before rushing into it and thinking I can do it myself. Um, that's the only thing in hindsight that I'd, I'd look back on. But on the flip side, at least I didn't give it much thought and I just kind of went ahead with it. I didn't think about, oh, what if I don't get enough subscribers or what if the video is not good or what if no one watches me? I didn't really think of anything like that. I just thought, well, let me just try it. I, I don't know unless I try. So yeah, two, three years later, two years later now, I think I've been on YouTube for two years. So yeah, two years later, I'm, I'm really glad I made that decision. It's amazing. Um, and it goes to 
I guess to show you as an auntie and your ability to take risks and not yeah. overthink things, which I think is a very valuable trait. Um, and it shows in some of the other stuff that you've done in terms of the opportunities and placements. And and um, I really like your posts. I really think they're inspirational. Um, what what was the desired outcome when you when you made the channel? Did you think, oh, I want to get to this point, or did you think I'm just going to keep doing it while I have and see what happens? Yeah. That's honestly the latter. It was just, I'm just going to keep doing it. This is something that I enjoy doing. And I think sometimes when I focused on outcomes, so there was a period of time where I was aiming to get a certain number of subscribers. I wanted to reach my first 1,000 subscribers. And when I started thinking like that, it kind of took the fun away from it because it felt like I was trying to drive towards an outcome. And rather than actually enjoying what I was doing itself, it, it started feeling a bit like a chore or something that I had to do. So I try not to think on, on, on an outcome basis, if that makes sense, because I just feel like that kind of decreases my motivation for doing certain things. I'd rather just kind of focus on the fact that I enjoy what I'm doing right now. And also at that point as well, which is an objective that I continue doing, but I feel like I'm able to explain myself better when I, when I'm, on video when I'm speaking rather than over text. So for example, with a lot of my followers that I um, that have asked me questions on Instagram, I tend to usually reply with a voice note because I just find it easier to just respond by speaking to them. And that objective still remains in terms of trying to provide information in an easy, accessible manner, in a relatable manner as well. Because I think the legal profession has this kind of air of sometimes looking like you have to come from a certain background or you have to have some sort of education in order to be able to be a lawyer and that's not the case at all uh, I for example went to a state school I, I speak slang with my friends all the time and I'm quite you know I wouldn't say I'm completely like a roadmap because I'm not but like you know I don't I don't have that kind of element of poshness that sometimes feel like some people feel like you have to have to have a career in law and that's something that people feel like they they like my content for because I'm just really kind of relatable in that sense so that's one thing in my objective that I try to maintain and I think I'm only able to maintain that through videos through text I think it's quite difficult because you can't really talk about you can't really text in a certain tone you know people can't judge the tone that you're speaking on when you're texting but over video they can and have you found any any kind of contradiction or not contradictions but any issues between becoming a lawyer and having a YouTube channel are there any issues yeah. or considerations that you have yeah I think from a lawyer's perspective so becoming a lawyer and training to be a lawyer means that you automatically become very very risk averse and things that may necessarily not be a concern for the everyday person the lawyer may pick up on and think actually there's a bit of a red flag here because that's what we're taught we're taught to try and basically avoid as many risks for our clients as possible so in our in my videos uh, people don't know this, but behind the scenes, I am constantly reviewing, watching, re-watching, re-watching, especially my day in the life vlogs, because when I'm showing a day in the life as a trainee solicitor, I cannot have any confidential information on my screen. There was one moment where I was filming a reel and uh, I was re-watching it, I think around 10, 12 times. And I think it was on the 13th time I noticed a small piece of paper on the side of the screen, which had writing on it which obviously you couldn't see. If you zoomed in, you may have been able to tell what was being said. So I completely had to go back, completely change the reel, redo it again. 
So that's really kind of one issue in terms of confidentiality and making sure that you're not revealing any client information. But also from a legal perspective, I think you have to be quite careful about what you say as well. So if I've had a bad day at work or I've dealt with a colleague who's or a client who's not been the greatest, which does happen. It happens in every workplace. I can't then just go on Internet, on the Internet or on social media and completely just say bad things about that person or say bad things about the firm because then that can come back to me from a reputational basis but I don't think that's solely something that's exclusive to the legal profession I think in all kinds of professions you can't just go and badmouth your employer because it will end up biting you in the butt so those are some difficulties and issues that I've had I'm quite lucky in terms of my firm is very very supportive of the content that I create and there are a few firms out there that aren't as supportive and I'm glad that I'm not part of that framework I understand I think social media is the the newest way to try and actually build your brand as a business and law firms essentially are a business and sometimes with these newer clients that are coming in they look for their law firms via social media when it comes to uh, new talent who are wanting to join law firms they join sometimes via looking at social media posts so Mm. I think law firms need to be a lot more kind of accepting of the change of the wave rather than being reactive I think they need to be more proactive in that sense but those are the only real main issues that I've kind of faced but all in all I'm, I'm really glad that I'm in a supportive network yeah, and I think your your content is so good and positive that it, there's it's only going to help the employer. If you were yeah. if it was a political channel or something like that, it might have been a bit different. But um, with with my employer, I work for the NHS, and they do search for each prospective candidate like this. Do a search on each prospective candidate, and social media is usually the thing they're looking at. And they have sacked a few people, but it was because the stuff that they were posting online was just really yeah not in line with the trust value not in line yeah exactly there have been a few instances where that happened as well um in the legal profession so we've had a barrister um who was a criminal law barrister I think and she was saying the most kind of racist things on Twitter and ended up getting sacked I think people ended up finding her 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 chambers and just absolutely just rinsing her if I'm honest which I'm I don't blame them for and I, I don't I don't I think that's utterly deserved if I'm honest with you for the opinions that she had but yeah yeah I think you do as a professional and as someone with the registration you do have to have a certain etiquette and a certain level Definitely. of professionalism um okay so how do you get your ideas oh how do I get my ideas so that's a good question I think the more you engage with social media, the more you see ideas as well sometimes. So for example, this is particularly the case with TikTok. So with TikTok, you'll see trends and certain audios or certain music just coming up and trending. Now with TikTok, once you understand what your niche is and what you understand what your objective is and what kind of content you want to create, you can then adapt that particular trend to make it apply to you and your followers. So for example, one of my most popular videos on um, TikTok was about how I was attending a pre-wedding party and then going straight, no, attending a client meeting and going straight to a a pre-wedding party. And that was based on a trend of, I think I saw a trend about how someone was doing something at a certain time and then doing something else and they were dressed for both occasions. So it was based on that trend. It was completely different to law and work, but I managed to adapt it to me. And it was one of my most viewed videos of all time. 
and it took 10 seconds to create. So it's just crazy in terms of once you understand trends and once you understand your objective and your niche and what your followers want to see out of you, ideas start coming like that as well. And in terms of ideas, sometimes it's okay to run out of ideas as well. So all the advice that I've got for training contracts and how to secure a training contract and how to be a good vacation scheme student or how to write a good application, because I did all those things two, three years ago now, I feel like my advice, I don't think it's outdated. I feel like if I provided advice, new advice now, I think that's quite dishonest because I've not written an application in two, three years. So that's why I tend to not provide as much advice about that. I just tend to rely on my old experiences, which is content that I've already created. So I don't need to create new videos about that. So understanding that and not being scared of the fact that your ideas can evolve and change. So now before before my um, content used to be about the application process and how to be a trainee solicitor but now I, I I guess I'm providing more elements about my personal life so my upcoming videos are my vlog in India or my vlog in America I'm trying out new content just dipping my toes here and there in different things for example in January I did a random video that was kind of related to law but it was I tried a Mark Clooney's gym workout for a week and I thought it wouldn't get that many followers like 200 200 views or something but I think now it's on over a thousand which for me it's like whenever a video goes over a thousand that for me is like a, okay that's fine that's a good video um and it's just random things like that you just kind of got to dip your toes in the water a little bit mm. and see what's happening so for example I made a video about work when you can there's always certain ways in which you can link a, a video or an idea to your your current niche or your objective but if you want to go beyond that and you want to do something completely random so my next video is about uh, america vlog i'm not a travel vlogger but i'm i, I want to give that a go uh so yeah and i think some of my content is also evolving into showing um my pride in being sick and being punjabi uh, a lot of my content is turning just showing more about my personal life i might show more about my wedding um you can get ideas from personal life as well so what's happening in your life something may have happened and you want to share it I guess that's why being a bit self-reflective being a bit more self-aware really helps create new ideas as well because again like I said something may have happened to you or you may have experienced a situation that you wish to share you feel like it's important to share so you can do that this is I feel like this is more for me I'm getting <laughs> just like private consultation with YouTuber. <laughs> but um how much so you've got a bank of ideas. Let's say you've got a file on your on your phone with with ten ideas, and you've only got so much time. There's only one of you. So how and you're you're working and you've got other commitments. You've got life outside of work. How do you then go from idea generation to I'll go with this one um, as as opposed to any of the others? Any of the others, yeah. I think it. Well, I haven't been on YouTube for two months at the moment, but that's purely because I think, firstly, before you can decide what video you want to do, I think it's purely about understanding what your priorities are. So, like you've mentioned, I do have a lot of things going on outside of work, but also inside work, and it, life has become very, very busy at the moment. And for me, I had to sit down with myself and say, okay, what's my top priority right now? And unfortunately for that, this period of time, YouTube is not one of them. So understanding, first of all, what your priority is and maybe even doing a priority list and seeing where things are. And once you go through one list, you can move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Um, but if you do have time to do YouTube and you, you have a few ideas and you want to pick out what you want to do, I would say what I tend to do is I look at the, the, the time of the year so there are certain times of the year where certain topics are trending 
so for example, if Ali Abdal does a video of how much money I made on YouTube in a week, sometimes sometimes topics like about money or finance or uh, how much content creators can make or all these different types of topics sometimes end up becoming trending. So understanding what other creators are doing and if you've got an idea similar to that, sometimes it's great to just jump on that bandwagon because it's going to help you out. Uh, or you can decide to do completely different. I think also you can base it off what you want to talk about. There might be an idea that you're just so excited, you just want to get that one done. I think do that then. I don't think you should have to wait and do other ideas first because that could wane your motivation. So if you're not really excited about an idea, do that one first. I would also say, depending on time, one video may be easier to create than another one. And if you've not got that much time, then go for the easier one first because at least then you're getting started. I think my main motto is to just try and get started because once you get started, that motivation increases and the momentum increases. So you keep going for a longer period. So yeah, I think that's what I'd say in terms of picking ideas. That's amazing. And how much emphasis or, or if any, do you give to analytics and, and looking at trends and looking at how certain videos or titling and all that kind of stuff? I used to be quite obsessed with it, like checking it almost every day. And I felt like it became quite unhealthy because I would really kind of just analyze everything. Okay, why did this not happen? Why did that not happen? And it kind of gets in your head. And again, like I said, it takes the fun out of the process. So right now I don't look at analytics. I just don't do it. Like I look at my my subscriber count here and there. But for me personally, it's just like the whole reason why I'm doing this is to help people out to provide a realistic aspect about law and to build my own personal brand I guess but also enjoy what I'm doing and analytics doesn't really fall into that it's not like I want to be the biggest YouTuber in the world I, I don't have that objective I don't have the objective of having the most viewed video on YouTube I don't I don't really care about those kind of things I just like creating so I'd rather just focus on that element because when I get bogged down by analytics or facts or figures too much it just takes my motivation away but for some people it's an element of motivation they want to see the analytics they want to see their progression how well they're doing and don't get me wrong I do like seeing the um there's a way on YouTube I think you've seen it as well where on YouTube studio you can see uh the lifetime of how you've done from day one down to now and it's always most of the time an upward trajectory whether it's like a big one or a slow one and I like seeing that. I just like seeing that trajectory. I don't really analyze anything else. Even that is just looking at it thinking, oh, that's nice. It's gone upwards. So that's, that's really the main kind of thing that I look at when it comes to analytics. Other than that, I just don't really give it that much thought. Yeah, I think it is easy to get bogged down with it. And I am guilty of checking YouTube Studio every day. Yeah. Uh, mostly for comments, but I think it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Mm it's not going to improve your content just looking at it all the time um yeah exactly I think the way I tell myself is it's not going anywhere like YouTube studio is not going anywhere it's not running anywhere your analytics aren't running anywhere it's just you don't have to check it there and then right now just just give it a few days it doesn't matter and then a few days turn into a few weeks etc etc yeah I think the the downside with YouTube studio is the way it's structured and this is probably this probably a very good reason for this is that it, it will focus on your performance of each video and it will rank it with the last yeah. 10 videos yeah. so there's an there's this kind of um it's promoting you to try and do better each time and yeah. your the trends are very kind of short term in terms of what you see on the dashboard 
it's like how you've how you've done this month as opposed to how you've done since you started mm. so I think it helped probably helps motivate lots of people and, and just keeping that ball rolling but for me I think it, it feels like you're on a bit of a treadmill sometimes and you yeah. don't want to be in the red and you don't want to be having a bad month so yeah exactly I mean I saw one YouTuber they actually have a spreadsheet where they count the number of subscribers that they have every month and they have their own excel graph and for them that motivates them I tried to do the same thing and I hated it I hated it I felt like first it was an extra chore that I had to do and I just couldn't be asked to kind of check in every month and see what my subscriber count was then also I felt like again it took the fun away from things so I guess every everyone's different do you have a YouTube community do you have a group of people that you support <laughs> each other and yeah yeah so some of my best friends actually I've met through YouTube uh so it started off with me seeing my friend Kajal and then Kajal introduced me to Tanvi and uh, Devampshire um I met Ranveer as well and I think I saw Ranveer around on like LinkedIn or something and then we have like mutual friends as well so it's we've all kind of formed a community and within that we've got like a wider group as well where everyone kind of knows someone who then brings someone into the circle so the network ends up getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I think starting off I'm now friends with people that and really close friends with people for example Tanvi I went to Spain with her and I was actually laughing at one of my first like my first message to her on Instagram was like a few years before I was like oh my god girl such a fan girl like such a like cringy like fangirl message and now I'm going to Spain with her it was just insane to just see that kind of progression uh so yeah no it's 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 been good and I think one of the biggest positives I think a lot of creators say this in, in YouTube especially is the community that you create because you end up doing collabs together you've got the same mindset as well when it comes to YouTube you will sometimes have the same issues and sometimes it's just nice to play ideas by people or see how other people are doing things and the way all of us girls are as well we've all got kind of career dedicated uh, videos so it's quite nice to see how other people are doing it in other professions as well so yeah it's a really great community and I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of that it's amazing and you guys have kind of informally set that up, right? So anyone could do that. They could just find a group of people who want to do this together. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was going to ask about the logical next question would be, how do you do all of this? Because you have so much going on and videos take time. Editing takes time. SEO, titling, thumbnails, um, rendering, publishing, all of this stuff takes takes a lot of time and people mm. have it as a full-time job so how do you manage to and that's just youtube alone not mentioning instagram tiktok you know all the other platforms how yeah yeah so i i guess i feel i use a few tools i think firstly relating back to a previous point that i made is understanding your priorities so i've not made a video in two months purely because i've had sometimes the, the balance just shifts and you just can't do it but if I and I want to start getting back into YouTubing now and I want to start making like videos again now so what I've been implementing to try and prepare myself for that is going into my calendar first of all and I have different I use a Google calendar and I use my Apple calendar and I use them both for different things so my Google calendar is where I have my events um, or things that are happening or so I have color coding things I have a I, it's color coded essentially so uh, purple is work related stuff so the days that I'm in the office uh, yellow is content creating red is wedding stuff um 
I love how I put red for wedding stuff because the bride wears red and I just had to have that relation. That's just how I think. Um, and I've got pink for social, so personal life and all of that other stuff. So when I am making a video and I want to make a video by a certain date, and usually I post my videos on a Sunday, I will have the videos kind of scheduled up on my calendar. Okay, YouTube on Sunday, uh, this video, like the America vlog, and the next one, it will be India vlog. And week after, it will be that. So I actually have a plan of the videos that I want to create probably for the next month or two. Uh, that is all in my calendar. It's all there. And basically that then tells me, okay, it's in the calendar now. I've got to make it by that date. I've got to get it ready by that date. And then what happens with the Apple calendar is I use that for my time blocking. So if you're not aware, time blocking is where you essentially allocate and basically give yourself a timetable for every single day. Now, sometimes time blocking and work, sometimes it can't. So there's certain days where I know that I am, I don't know, going to see relatives or I am doing something with friends that may run over. Some, sometimes the things just don't fit into the block. So those for those days, I just don't bother with time blocking because I know that my time's going to run over. I don't know when things are going to be happening, etc. Like, for example, guests just turn up at your house sometimes and you you just got a case for them for two three hours and that you, if you had time blocking during that time it just wouldn't work um and for the days however like today I know what my plan is exactly and I've got my time blocking ready so uh, that allows me to try and get as much as I can done during the day but also try and get all my thoughts on paper in terms of what I want to get done and eliminates the risk of me procrastinating because sometimes when I feel like I've got a lot to do I go on my phone I just end up scrolling on TikTok which is counterproductive but I think it's a natural reaction when you feel like you've got a lot done, you get overwhelmed. You're like, I can't do this. I need to step away from it. And you go on your phone. So time blocking just allows me to kind of organize what I want to do in the day. And that's how I kind of slot in. I slot in maybe two hours for YouTube. And then you just kind of spread it out. Sometimes I used to go into a bit of a habit of when I started on YouTube, I didn't stop. So I'd be editing and I'd sat, I'd sit there and I could pretty much edit actually a video in a day, but it wouldn't be my best. It wouldn't be my best content it wouldn't be the best editing I've done but it can be done in a day if I had to but I don't think that's the best way to do it because YouTube is also about quality not the speed at which you edit so I um yeah so I I, I try to dedicate maybe two or three hours uh in that day for YouTube if I was to want if I wanted to make a YouTube video in that day and then obviously if I wherever I get left off I move on to the next thing and I tend to keep some time in the evening as well, like a free block of do whatever you want. So in sixth form, I don't know whether you had this as well. There's like a free period. You could do whatever you wanted. I give that to myself as well, my time blocking, because there are certain times where you've written something in your time blocking, but your mind is still relating to that other task that you did earlier today. And you should follow what your mind does, not force yourself have to, to have to do something just because you've written it down on paper. That's kind of how I see it. So I've tried time blocking. I've read Cal Newport's book, um he's got a time blocking journal and he yeah. talks a lot about it and i recommend it to anyone it's, it's a good book but um i think i have a I, I don't stick to things for long enough for them to really yeah. to really pay off so yeah. how, how how long have you been doing time blocking and what's the process been like for you to get mm. to this point i do it here and there so there are periods where i do it every day and then there are periods where i just don't do it at all because I just feel like it's just not going to be helpful or I even don't even have the time to time block sometimes. That's how life gets sometimes. Um, but for me, I found where if I write something down, I am more likely to do it. So that's why on my phone also, I have a to-do list of everything that I need to do generally in life. But I, 
when I think about when I think about I have to do something but I don't write it down I don't do it because either I end up forgetting or I just feel like it's not as important whereas if I've written it down it's like I've written it down and the actual act of ticking something off or crossing it off that's enough reward for me to be like okay I'm glad I did that and I think it's about training your mind to kind of see that reward and the reward for me honestly it sounds so geeky is honestly just crossing something off and being like I've done that the satisfaction I get from that is insane so that's what I like to have it makes sense I was being somebody in the NHS who's quite high up and they they do the same thing my associate director she keeps a list as well um how do you stop yourself from having like a thousand items and you can't find what you've got because with you like you have so much going on you've Mm -hmm. got wedding stuff all that kind of stuff if you put that all onto a to-do list It'd probably be 10,000 items. And, and Yeah, yeah. So I've got separate Notion pages for separate things that I want to do. So my wedding page, I've got a big to-do list on there. That's got everything. But I don't see that to-do list every day. It's only if I want to then go see what else is left, then I go on that. But then on my phone, I've got the immediate things that need my attention within this week. So that's on my to-do list. So that my on my phone, it's more of a condensed version. Whereas I've got bigger to-do lists on like my notion page for example do you find that helps with stress knowing that everything's down somewhere yeah 100 i i feel like once i've got things down and i've got it on paper on my phone or even today before i went to sleep yesterday i was like okay i've got a podcast recording at seven uh and to after that i'm going to do this and then i'm going to lunch with friends and I've just, I kind of like strategize a little bit of a plan of how I want to go about the day. And then I wake up the next day and I'm, I'm not feeling as overwhelmed because I'm like, okay, I thought about this. I know, I know what I'm doing step by step. So yeah, I think thinking about things, um, sometimes planning your day the night before and having things written on paper has helped um, me to not feel as overwhelmed. Amazing. And um, how far ahead do you do this because with with scheduling you mentioned youtube how to get that done and how to fit that in your life i know you train i know you do um like obviously you have friends which is obviously a really good thing to do um family commitments work so how far ahead would you schedule block this out in your yeah i guess it depends on um it depends a lot on my mood as well like what i feel like whether i feel like scheduling but usually i do it on a sunday because i feel like sundays are a good day just before the start of the week but also a day where sometimes there's not really that much on Sundays have always been kind of a bit of a day where like I'm I'm a lot more like relaxed because I'm not having to go here and there shops close at four which I love most of the time because it just doesn't mean you have to go out somewhere you know um whereas Friday Saturday can be quite busy for that social element Sunday is just that element to kind of detox just reflect on the week but also think about the week ahead so that's usually when I tend to do a lot of my organizational work nice yeah and I think in some traditions they have sabbath right where they they, mm. they are not allowed to do any work on Sunday and I was thinking about that yesterday yeah. how that's potentially a mechanism to prevent burnout because you're having some time to decompress which otherwise we're also busy we can potentially just work ourselves to the ground yeah um, so with that really helps with the fitting in questions for people who are starting off so starting off their productivity journey or starting off their YouTube journey, um, what, probably two separate questions, but what's your advice to them? For productivity, I would say be open to loads of techniques or methods because I could be sitting here telling you about time blocking or 
scheduling or writing things down and for you that might not work at all but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be productive it's just there's different ways of being productive and I'd say there are a lot of good books out there that help with productivity for sure uh, you've mentioned one as well with the time blocking journal but I um I love um, Atomic Habits by James Clear uh, there are loads of other books out there I tried to read Getting Things Done by David Allen, but I struggled with that one. And at first, you know, there are there will be some books that people recommend and you just don't like them either. And that doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that you're not productive or you just don't understand what he's saying. It's sometimes just the way it is. Mm. And you just don't understand, they just don't like the writing style. Or you, With David Allen, unfortunately, I felt like a lot of the things that he was saying in the book were really obvious. And maybe that's because I'd done a lot of productivity reading before. I just felt like I'm not enjoying this. And also with productivity as well, don't feel like you have to do something just because a TikTok trend told you to. So, for example, there's this big trend going around these days. Waking up at 5 a.m. means that you're going to be successful in life. That's not the case at all. Some people wake up earlier because they want to wake up earlier. They're more morning people. They understand that they work better in the mornings. Whereas um, I actually work. I like sleeping in. I today actually I forced myself to wake up at six because of the podcast I said I'm going to deliberately schedule this for seven so I wake up earlier because I knew I had a lot to do uh, so sometimes you can do things like that and but usually I don't wake up early I when I'm um, working from home usually on the weekends I wake up around like nine that for me is late uh for some people that might be early like my fiance is definitely early it's too early for him he wakes up at like 11 12 that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't get things done he actually works better at night whereas I tend to work better late morning, afternoon, um, evenings as well. Actually, I tend to work a little bit, but I'm not the kind of person where I stay up late at night and different people. Some people want to stay up late at night. They want to work all through the night. That's that's how they like it. And again, that's fine. Just don't feel like you have to follow social media trends or what people are telling you works for them necessarily will work for you that's not the case and productivity can be quite toxic as well sometimes I guess a lot of things can be toxic sometimes because productivity is meant to be about balance it's not meant to be about working yourself to the ground so that's what I'd say if you're starting off with productivity I understand that it can be quite overwhelming when you're starting off doing anything but starting off is the main key and even starting off with reading a book or watching YouTube channels about it, that's the best way to, I guess, start maybe. Um, and then starting off with YouTube, it goes a similar way as well, like uh, uh, reflecting back at the start of this podcast where I said, I wish I didn't rush into starting my channel so much. Uh, I wish I took the time out to view other YouTubers to see how they edited things. Um, I wish I took the time out to, I guess, look at the technology and the gear involved. Like, for example, you don't need a, a DSLR camera to video on uh, starting off on YouTube some of my biggest YouTube videos have been filmed on my iPhone and it's not that deep at all and um, some people have never commented on the quality saying the quality is as bad as a DSLR which one of my friends said actually it looks brighter than my DSLR camera um so you don't have to have to have the most high-tech equipment um even some basic video editing software you can get for free so on Max, for example you, you I think you have iMovie yeah. um I got into the habit of feeling like I had to have the most high-tech video editing software but you don't um, especially when you're starting off because when you're starting off focus on the fact that you're not trying to see progress you're trying to figure out whether this is the right thing for you to do 
and whether you actually enjoy it. Uh, because if you start focusing on stats and trying to, you know, why am I not on a million subscribers already and stuff like that, that's just not, it's just not going to be enjoyable. So I think just really trying to be reflective when you're starting a YouTube journey and figuring out whether it's for you, because a lot of people I know, they see other YouTubers and they watch their videos, they're like, yeah, I want to try that. And then they try it. And there's not just, not, it's just not as fun, but they just want to keep doing it because someone else is doing it, but you shouldn't be doing that. That's like an extrinsic reason for doing it. So yeah, that's kind of how I see it. That makes a lot of sense. I was watching this this segment on um, on YouTube actually, and they were interviewing kids, saying, "What do you want to be?" And they're talking about how when I was young, people would say the doctors, lawyers, accountants, and eighty percent of this cohort said YouTube. Um, so times have really changed. But like you said, it doesn't mean just because it looks really cool and it is cool it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the right thing for that individual and. I don't know too much about YouTube, but from a training perspective, that definitely counts because someone might say you should really do Pilates, but you might not, it might not resonate with you, you might not enjoy it. So there's no point you just beating your head, trying to force yourself to do something because somebody else said it's good or, or that person has a physique like that you aspire towards. You've got yeah. to do what you can um, continue to do for a long period of time to get results. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about law. Um, lastly, why law? Um, and there's a lot of people have asked questions around law naturally because that's what your your profiles in, uh, are about. Um, is it a good profession to go into? Um, what are the considerations around it at the moment in terms of? I read uh, the Secret Barrister. I don't know if you've read that one. Um, I should, have, but I haven't. <laughs> I think it's just one of those things I've done so much reading now in my life like sometimes books have been ruined for me because I just can't be asked to read but yeah but it, it um he is basically just a guy talking about the challenges of being a barrister um his pers own personal experiences so I think there's counterparts in different fields there's one called this is going to hurt which is around junior doctors yeah um, yeah and, and the, these books tend to be really popular. And it's, it's a brilliant book, but he, he talks about how it's, um, it's not necessarily what people think. People think, yeah. you, know, you know, earn tons of money straight away. And um, it's uh, really glamorous. And, and, uh, and he was talking about the long hours potentially and, and yeah, the difficulties, some, some of the cases he managed representing people that he doesn't really necessarily um, and, and the whole judicial system, which is yeah. around like not being able to convict people because of lack of evidence or police are really busy. So they didn't get things together and, and things kind of, it, it kind of left, left him a bit, um, uh, a bit calloused from mm -hmm. his experiences. Um, but, you know, he's, he's still a barrister and he, he loves the profession. He, his, his book is more about, uh, trying to encourage some reflection around the system and making improvements to the system to for things like um, funding people's um, uh, le legal fees and all that kind of stuff like legal aid and how that that's changed over the years and all that kind of stuff so can you go <laughs> briefly into the the law profession what why someone should do it why they shouldn't do it and what a traditional route might be yeah so I, I kind of get uh, decided from an early age that I, I wanted to be a solicitor. And I, I guess 
my perception reason why I wanted to do it when I was 13, 14 is because I saw it in the movies and I thought it looked really cool and everyone was so glamorous and, you know, dressed her nines, just looked so professional and looked, knew what they were doing. And I uh, soon realised at university, I actually didn't enjoy studying law. I found it really boring. Um, even It was just quite like, how is this applicable to real life? And I think in university, I realised, except for my final year, actually, where I picked more practical based modules, but I wanted to study something that was applicable to real life. And um, that's when I, I picked modules like in my final year of corporate law simulation. And um, I worked pro bono in a, in a clinic, in a law clinic, providing free legal advice to members of the public. Mm. I enjoyed those elements because I was actually giving legal advice and I was actually helping people with their real life situations. Uh, so that's that's one thing I think if you enjoy kind of taking a situation and trying to apply facts uh, to it or trying to think, OK, how can the law help this client out how can the law you know how can we just try and tailor it to make sure that it's aiding this client I think that's one thing that I really enjoy um I also really enjoy the element of just how wide-ranging the law is so there's so many different practice areas that you can go into you can go into criminal you can go into real estate you can go into corporate you can go into insurance law plays a part in every single part of your life and another thing that I also I'm really happy that I practiced I'm really happy that I practiced law for the reason of the fact that it's helped me a lot in my own personal life as well. So with my wedding and planning for that, I've been negotiating with vendors. One of the vendors actually came to me and said, "You're a lawyer, aren't you?" I can tell because I went back to him and I was pedantic on every single point. So for example, I'm hiring um, a bar at my reception. Uh, does this include non-slip black trays does it include the scoops are you including ice do you provide the lemons that are also going into the drinks because some people like garnishes are you providing like leaves of mint I've asked all these little questions and I don't think he'd ever been questioned in that way that's why he you know he understood he was like you're a lawyer aren't you uh because you just you just get so kind of caught up in detail you want everything to be covered and then also sometimes vendors, they get really surprised when I come back with their own contract. And I've got marked up comments. And I said, these are my comments because I'm negotiating back. And I think sometimes they get a bit surprised with that. So it's really helped me in my own personal life as well with all the things that I need to do. It's made me quite a lot more attention to detail focused than I ever was. And I've still got a long way to go with that. But also means that I don't take things at face value. So, for example, I booked a restaurant and um, it was one of those places where you had to put your card down to make the reservation and they uh, essentially I, I cancelled I think two weeks before so I gave them an, more than enough notice and they said yeah sorry it's not refundable and I said how come they said read our T and C's I read their T at that moment I was like oh crap it's probably in the T's and C's I, I'm, I'm you know I can't be bothered to read that then I thought hold on let me actually read it read their T's and C's and said if you give notice before two weeks you will get a refund and I was like, how, this, how is this woman? Does she not know her own terms and conditions? So I screenshot the terms and conditions back to her and I said, it says I'm entitled to a refund in your own terms and conditions. She didn't even reply back. I got the refund in my bank account three days later. So it's like these little things. If I didn't study law and if I didn't practice to be a solicitor, I wouldn't have had those small wins in life. Because it just trains you to be so kind of detail focused, not take things at face value, be risk averse, think about the wider picture. And I think those transferable skills are invaluable towards your progression in life. So I'm, I'm really glad I've practiced it for that reason. Um, I think you really sold it to everyone. Sorry? 
I think you really sold it to everyone. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a great career. But like you mentioned from the book Secret Barrister, there are a lot of things that the, the, the profession does need to work on. Um, I feel like in all kind of corporate professions, sometimes there's this bit of a perception that you have to give up your whole life to focus on your job. I don't think that's the, the right approach at all. And I think the pandemic has obviously such a horrible thing that happened. But one thing that came to light in terms of the profession was people understood that you can work from home and it's actually encouraged and you should have a work-life balance because if you don't have that, then you're not going to have a counterproductive, you're not going to have a productive workforce. So all these kind of things, I think law firms are making more of a move towards maintaining healthier balances, but there is still a lot of improvement to be made there. Also in the legal profession, sometimes as a junior, um, you can feel like you're just doing what everyone's telling you to do. And I feel like uh, that can be quite draining for someone like me. I'm quite creative. I like to think outside the box. I like to kind of think of new ways of doing things, but sometimes that new way just doesn't, it doesn't align with the structure of a legal profession. As a junior, you're supposed to do what people tell you. And that's the way they tell you to do things, you do it that way. Um, So that can be sometimes a bit of an issue as well, but what's kind of, I guess, uh, providing me a lot of uh, positivity in that element is, because I'm a junior, I'm still learning. My my role right now is to not make a new innovative way for a law firm to do something. It's to actually just basically learn and train and, and learn how the legal profession works. And then when I get higher up in the ranks, hopefully at some point, um, I, that's when I can introduce my creativity because I'll have the experience to back that. What's the, what's the work scene like at the moment? Because in, in healthcare, um, like in medicine, there's probably certain areas of medicine which are I don't know how to phrase this, but you can have a you can have a, a better work life balance. Like radiology, you might be working fixed hours if you're a consultant. Um, as a as a general practitioner, you'll potentially be working fixed hours. If you're working in ITU emergency medicine, um, you will be working shifts um, yeah. and very long hours, and it won't necessarily be as conducive to having a work life balance. Yeah, you've got to have a really understanding partner. So is are, does that apply to law or is it just... Yeah, there are some perceptions of certain things, um, a certain uh, paths having more of a work-life balance. So, for example, um, in corporate, it's quite known that you're going to have ultimately really, really busy periods where you will probably sleep for, like, I don't know, two, three hours. And then those are known as the busy periods, like when you're leading up to a deal, then afterwards it may decrease a little bit, but corporate tend to be known as quite a busy place to work and work-life balance is a little bit not that great. Um, Whereas other areas uh, like, um, I'm trying to think, real estate has a reputation being quite steady in terms of hours. Um, Generally, I'm speaking from a very general perspective because again, there are moments in real estate where you have to work late because you're trying to complete a lease or complete a sale of a house for a client, for example, so that means you end up working late. So I guess it depends on the client that you've got. It depends a lot on um, the area of law and it depends a lot on location as well, because I feel like sometimes in London, there's a bit of a perception that you have to work a bit later compared to other regions where, from what I've learned, it's kind of a bit more work-life balance. Um, London just tends to be like, yeah, we work day and night (laughs) sometimes, which is not as healthy, but yeah, um, I think, yeah, it depends a lot of factors. Um, People also say when you work, 
uh, in a law firm, so that's known as private practice, that tends to have longer hours. Whereas if you work in-house, so for example, you are the legal counsel for Netflix or uh, some a business or a company, uh, people tend to say generally that tends to have uh, more work-life balance in-house. But again, that's really general and it can be quite subjective because uh, different people have different hours. And it depends, if you're the head of legal for Netflix, I'm sure your hours are very, very long, you know? So, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so lastly, if, if someone wants to go into, go into law, you mentioned you did some pro bono work. So that probably gave you an insight into the profession. Um, and I think it's a bit of an injustice that we we put our kids into stuff. Like I've got I've got two kids, a third on the way, you know, God's grace. And we 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 tell them to become a I don't know, policeman, but they don't actually have any practical experience or work experience of doing that role. There's very limited opportunities for that in some professions, like medicine, for example. Um so what advice would you give for someone who's considering it or they want their kids to get into it to give them a bit of a taste for what it's really going to be like outside of watching Hollywood films? Yeah, I think sometimes with that, like you have to kind of think outside the box and it takes a lot of taking your own initiative. Uh, so if you've got friends, family contacts that can help, definitely utilise that. And sometimes in Asian culture, we feel like we don't want to go to people to ask for help because it looks as if it looks weak and it's not weak at all. I think it's just Asian perception of how we view things. And sometimes it's okay to say, look, my child is interested in this area or I'm interested in this area. Can you help us out? Give us some, some experience. And obviously not everyone has those friends and family contacts either. Obviously, you know, it can be quite difficult in that sense. And from there, taking initiative can mean actually going to a local solicitor's firm in your local area with your CV, your cover letter and saying, can I shadow you for a week? or can I uh, have work experience with you for a month and you know uh, trying trying to kind of facilitate that uh, yourself rather than going online and trying to look at job opportunities because a lot of the opportunities actually are created when you try and form contacts and meet people so if you are struggling with trying to kind of gain work experience one thing that you can also do is attend networking events now there's a lot of schemes out there that help um, legal professions people who wanted to get into law so for example, um, there's the Bright Network. Um, I started off with the Bright Network because um, they had like careers fairs. So I used to go to them, they used to be law firms and I used to speak to law firms there. Um, when you're starting and going to university, law firms will come to you, they'll come to you at law fairs. They'll want to speak to you because they're looking to recruit from university students. Um, so that's also something that you can look into, but also attending networking events while you're at university. Um, if you're still at school, your school may host like a work experience week or you can approach your school and say, I'm really interested in this career. Is there anything that you can do to help me gain work experience? And you never know the teacher's husband may be a lawyer or something, you know. So that's another way in which you can just kind of take initiative in that sense. Um, yeah, just loads of different things. It's just if it's a career that you want, you'll find a way of, of, find, of getting it and you will find a way of gaining experience. Um, it's just sometimes about just looking out for opportunities and really being a go-getter, not waiting for things to come on your table. You have to kind of go out and find it yourself. Mm. That's really good advice. And I, I guess it applies to lots of things. If you have the initiative, you'll kind of find a way um, not to belittle someone who's trying to find um, help, help. But yeah, if you keep at it, I'm sure yeah. you'll, you'll find a way. So thank you so much for your time. Simranji, no I really appreciate this. I know you're super busy. I know you've got busy days also. Well, no, no, um, right. I've taken it's up a lot of your time. So, uh, and 
in closing, I'll add everything that we've talked about, links to lots of the videos, like you've got one on, uh, on your iPhone apps, um, some of the apps you mentioned, and I'll add all of those videos in the description box so people can go back and definitely check them out. You definitely want to follow Simmons. Um, videos even if you're not interested in law just her energy and her positivity is really really inspiring so definitely go and check it out thank you so much